Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's start here, where I think the answer begins for everything and everybody in the place of acknowledgement. Indigenous peoples in this country have taught me the most about what acknowledgement truly means. So everything that I've created for you happened here on Treaty 7 land, which is now known as the center part of the province of Alberta. It is home to the Blackfoot Confederacy, made up of the Siksika, the Kainai, the Pikani, the Tatina First Nation, the Stony Nakoda First Nation, and the Métis Nation Region 3. It is always my honor, my privilege mostly, to raise my babies on this land where so much sacrifice was made, and to build a community, invite a community in, talk about hard things, as we together learn and unlearn about the most important things, that we were never meant to do any of this alone. Listen up. Welcome back to the Everyone Comes From Somewhere podcast. And um, today, I want to tell you a little something. There are times in my life where um, I have been lucky enough to come upon some of the greatest teachers, I think, of this journey for me on this earth. And I don't know how this happened, but I got lucky enough to bring one of my greatest teachers to you today. And I want to tell you a little bit about him. And uh, before we get started, his his name is Chief Cadmus Delorme. And he is, uh, amongst many other accolades, but I'm going to start with some of these. He is now the founder and CEO of One Hoop, which um, we're going to dive into so much uh, a little bit today. It's about um, financial reconciliation and uh, a company that um, is near and dear to his heart. He's also the chairperson of the Residential School Documents Advisory Committee, uh, representing, of course, the federal government. And he has a lot of input into that, which I'm so grateful for. He's a chairperson uh, of the board at the University of Regina. And he is a former chief, although, as he's explained to me currently, um, once a chief, always a chief, of Cowess's First Nation, number 73. And I think I met him first when he was acting as chief um, during um, the discovery of um, buried bodies, babies uh, on Cowess's First Nation. He navigated his people um, through that at a time where uh, the world was watching. And I don't know that I have ever been so in awe of a human um, holding space for such big emotion that no doubt lives in his body and in the people he loves the most. And so today, um, you're going to meet a little bit uh, about this. I mean, in addition to those things, in 2012, he was awarded the Queen 
Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal for his student leadership and the hospitality he showed to Prince Charles and Prince Chuck's wife, Camilla, Duchess of Cornwall, when they visited uh, FNU uh, University in 2012. He has also been named one of CBC Saskatchewan's Future 40, which celebrates the province's new generation of leaders, builders, and changemakers under the age of 40. Chief DeLorme worked as uh, the student recruitment officer for the First Nations University of Canada uh, in his younger years, uh, also when he was elected chief. He is a husband to a phenomenal woman named Kimberly. Uh, he's a dad and he resides on uh, Kawasa's First Nation and continues to change the world from there. Is this true, sir? <laughs> Thank you very You're much. Welcome. Yes, it is. Chief Cadmus Delorme, I I cannot tell you. I waited for this day for such a long time, and I have uh, I have a, I have one question. We're going to start with. I am very clear that we are way more alike than we are different, and often the difference between judgment of each other lies in our ability to know each other's stories. And I think one of the biggest questions we can ever ask anybody is, "Where do you come from?" So tell me where we would start. With you, Chief, where do you come from? Well, thank you, my friend. And it's a, a amazing and honor to be on, on your podcast today. So I my name is Cadmus. I'm 41 years old. So future 40 under 40, I don't graduate there anymore. <laughs> I look young. That's that preserve water. I get to shower in every day here on Cowses. And uh, who who am I? I am... Um, I grew up at a kitchen table. Uh, two living witnesses of residential school raised me, and uh, they uh, raised me to be a believer in this country, to be a proud Indigenous person, but also a proud Canadian. And uh, today, who am I? I'm a person that I could see both worldviews. Uh, we all inherited a history today together, um, Canadians and Indigenous people, and I could walk in both worlds. They're both so beautiful. And who am I? I'm one that could define both worlds, understand the challenges both worlds have with each other, but also highlight the hope and optimism of how the two worlds are going to coexist together for our children and children yet unborn to enjoy this place we all call home. Oh, it gives me chills every time I hear you speak, because I think that, you know, I often talk about you can't give away something you've never received. And you are a human who has experienced intergenerational trauma uh, firsthand, as you said, sitting at the kitchen table. How, tell me what it's like to, to witness, to navigate um, this experience in this country where still, I think, as a, as a settler, so many people are ignorant to the truth of the story because I mean, again, if if I can, I mean, truth and reconciliation always concerns me because you can't reconcile what you won't address. And mm-hmm. I, I want to know your sense of that. Um, t- tell me more about yeah that word. Uh, it's my four minute answer. So I'm just pre-warning you here. You go. So, I, uh, I cannot wait for everybody to hear you. Uh, I was born in 1982 and um, I grew up on a Generation Y and uh, I grew up on my First Nation and uh, I remember as a little kid, my, my parents would play this game called Back to Police. I'm going to start here. We'd drive to town to the local um, grocery store and 
my mom and dad and I and my dad would be like, my boy, lay down, the police are coming. And so I'd hit the floor, not knowing why. I just did it because my dad told me to. And the cruiser would pass by and my dad would be like, lift your head up, my boy, the police are past. So I, we'd get to town. My dad would go in the store. My mom and I'd be outside and my mom would be like, my baby, lay down, the police cruiser is coming. So I'd hit the floor again. The time I was a teenager, I was so intimidated. My heart would pump every time I seen a police officer. I was so guilty of I didn't even know what I did. And when I got older, I realized my parents, you know, have seen a lot in their life being Indigenous at a time in baby boomer generation when it was different. And they were instilling intergenerational trauma into me based on what they experienced. And this is what I mean by that. My my mother does not trust the police as much as she should today because of a valid reason when she didn't want to go to a residential school. It was an RCMP that come and picked her up. And my father moved out of the, off the reserve when Indigenous were first able to leave the reserve in the 1950s. And uh, he had to fight to remain Indian on the streets of Calgary at one time. And so he kind of lost trust in the police because they would throw him in jail every time he got in a fight because it was that time it was always the Indians problem. And so I was born in 82. My parents were raising me like that might happen to me. And so when I realized this and I was healing and getting stronger, I explained this to my mom and dad and they both laughed at first. And then they're like, yeah, it is intergenerational trauma. And so today when my, my boy Kingsley and my mom and I drive to town, my mom will be like, Kingsley, duck the police. I'm like, mom, we're not going through this again for another generation were healing. And, um, you know, so growing up, I knew something was unique. You know, being a little kid in this country, you don't really see skin color or history till you're probably around grade one, two or three. And, you know, you start to realize, you know, the the difference in, in how we, you know, I, I'll say it for better, for less words, how we judge one another, how you characterize one another. And, you know, it's the adults that really instill this into children because, you know, no child is born with, with racism or, or, or ignorance. It's just, it's kind of instilled in, in how the home fire talks. And I'm not trying to bring down any home fire, but, you know, and I, got, I, I went to town school for a couple of years. So I bounced between reserve school and town school. And I remember in grade two, uh, the bell would ring and, uh, We'd all run outside for soccer, eh? And we'd have shoes for, for goalposts. But you never pick teams. It was always the Indians first, the white kids. It was just like, it was just like you knew whose team you were on. And I tell you, we played like treaty land titlement was on the line. Like we played for like, like the most intense games. Like, like it mattered. And, you know, and we would like, it would get so interesting. As soon as the bell would ring, we'd all run inside. It's just like, it didn't even matter who you were. We would all like mingle, but I'm like, well, why did you have to like understand your team just because of who you were? And, you know, as I start to get older into teenage years, I really got to see, you know, the generational and intergenerational trauma Indigenous people face. And, you know, I can state that Indigenous people don't want pity or anybody to feel sorry for us. Like we want parity in this country while our Indigenous worldview is still amazing as, as it is. And no, I struggled a little bit in my teenage years. Um, you know, my parents tried their best, but they were healing too. And, um, you know, once I got to university, that's when I really started to understand the two worldviews. And it was university that really helped set the tone for me. I got to university 
and I took an Indigenous Studies class. I'm a Generation Y. We didn't have Indigenous Studies in our education program in Canada. We had social studies. So when I got to university, I'm like, Indigenous Studies? What the heck do people want to learn about Indians for? I'm like, I could probably teach this class. I was kind of coming in pretty confident that when I, t- when I took it, I sat there and this professor came in and started to tell the entire class about the treatment Indigenous people faced while living in Canada. And I'm like sitting there thinking, what do you mean my parents went to a residential school? What do you mean my, my family had to go? Like I, that was the first time I ever heard about what a residential school was, was in university. Stop. My parents never, th- my parents never talked about it. My school never taught it. We had a residential school while I was in school. Like we just never talked about it. It just, it was something that nobody talked about at the time. So you know, when I learned this in university, I got home that weekend and I was asking my mom and dad, what happened in Bertle? What happened in Maryville? And my, my parents were like, why are you asking us these questions? I, my dad said, I told you nothing to protect you. And I'm like, well, what happened? You know, and from there, I realized what the sacrifice many in my community helped raise me to be this funny and happy and, you know, optimistic individual while they were still trying to deal with theirs. And, you know, today I understand why Canada is in this situation. You know, and our education system in this country put us in this moment. You know, when I talk to Canadians, I I always say, listen, it's kind of like accidental racism or ignorance to the truth because the baby boomers were not taught about the truth in in our our school system. Um, they, They learned from Hollywood movies. And, you know, that's where that living in teepees and buckskin wearing and, and war calls and the game Cowboys and Indians. And I pre-warn you, Jody, if we play Cowboys and Indians later and I'm playing, the Indians usually win. I'm just throwing it out. I fully yeah. expect that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Generation <laughs> X, you know, they were taught a very ignorant approach to Indigenous people. Generation X in our Canadian education system, there was something called the white paper at the attitude of it at the time was Indians get over it, quit trying to be special, move off the reserve, give up your rights, be Canadians. That's what Generation X was taught. It was far from the truth. Generation Y, I'm a Y. We were taught that, yeah, you have treaties, but you surrendered the land, you gave up, you agreed to the residential school and the Indian Act is just go with it and far from the truth. So today, our millennials and Generation Z, they're getting the truth told to us. And that's where Canada is today is in 2015, the Truth and Reconciliation Calls to Action is all spelt out for us. But before we focus on reconciliation, we all as Canadians have to understand, we have to reset our compass on the truth. And on the Indigenous side, you know, Indigenous people, we also have our own truth and reconciliation that we are dealing with. And it's not the 94 Calls to Action. It's our own because we've been through a lot. You know, Indigenous nations have all the talent. We don't lack talent. We lack resources to lift the ceilings on the talent. And the opportunity. So, you know, it's that's what I mean by the two worldviews. And they're both so beautiful. And Canadians are getting it today. You know, unfortunately, it was the unmarked graves in 2021 from Kamloops and Kaosis and the many others that followed Many Canadians put their shield down and started to admit, maybe I don't know the truth. And now it's up to all of us together 
to learn the truth. And it's the indigenous side as well. So I could go on and on about this, Joey, but I thank you for the opportunity to letting me share, you know, just on what we inherited. Well, and I, and I, I thank you because your willingness to, to teach and to talk about this again and again and again, I can imagine has its toll. Um, as you, you know, you, you shared with me, you know, you're sitting in your mama's kitchen. I, I can't imagine what she must think of her boy um, when she watches you um, speak and lead and direct a nation at, you know, 30 years old, Cadmus. You were having conversations, you know, where there's a lot of question. I mean, I, I hear this often, you know, why do we need to apologize? And we've already apologized. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's move on. This is history. And as you say, last residential school closed, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, 1996 in this country. Mm-hmm. I was in university and I, I got a PhD in Saskatchewan and I did not one time learn about the residential school system. And I mm-hmm. served in child and family services, you know, in, in the foster care system where the vast majority of kids in care are Indigenous. And I did not one time ask, huh, Indigenous kids only make up 10% of the population. How come 72% are in care in this moment? And not one time did I ask a question about that. You see, because, I mean, again, my white privilege is a thing that uh, I don't even know I have because that's the definition of privilege. And it no longer is an excuse. I love having conversations like this because you taught me once your canoe analogy was the one thing that made me think, okay, my shame, my guilt can be paralyzed for such a long time. I just didn't want to say anything to get it wrong. Uh, who, who, who did I think I was for, for not acting or thinking or speaking to my children about or continuing in my racist ways? Uh, how, what if I just don't say anything? How often do you come up against this conversation? Um, I would imagine it's your full-time job, but I'm just... I'm, I'm just wondering for this community who desperately wants to be better and do better. Can you share me with us again, that, that perception? No, thank you very much. I, I read a lot of mental health books and, and mind books to, to prepare myself for all responses. And, um, you know, I want to start off with an indigenous worldview teaching. The greatest warrior is the one that brings peace. That is an indigenous worldview teaching. In a Western worldview, we, we say, well, the greatest warrior is the one that scalps and goes into battles of, with a horse and six pack and swayed and spear in their head. No, that's the movies. You know, that's, that's, that's what I mean. We all have to reset how indigenous worldview, the greatest warrior is the one that brings peace. And so when I speak reconciliation or when I talk, you know, the way I I, I love to do it's, you know, I always bring it from the greatest warriors, the one that brings peace. And, you know, I'll give you a worst case scenario to then I'll get into my analogy. I, I was on a radio station one day and uh, it was, uh, I'm going to get very specific. It was a rural Saskatchewan radio station without trying to sound judgmental. And um, there was uh, phone calls. They were able to call in and ask me any question they wanted. And uh, so this guy says, you Indians, that's how he started. I was like, okay, here, here we go. And he says, all you do is, you know, dot, 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 my tax money, dot, 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 dance, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, okay, okay, sir, sir, I, I thank you. And I, I repeated back to him what he said to me in a nice, calm manner. 
And um, I was like, did you, uh, when you went to school, I was like, you sound like you're a baby boomer. I was like, I don't want to ask for your age, but what, tell me one thing you learned about Indigenous people in your schooling time. And uh, he, he didn't have really much of an answer. And I was like, okay, well, let's start there. Let's start with the truth. And you know what? At that point, he didn't want to hear the truth. He already was in, in, in his preconceived. Um, so I just said, listen, sir, I think you're just a little ignorant of the truth. And then he gave me another lesson. I'm like, look, you're even ignorant of your ignorance. I told him, like, you got to calm down at one point and just realize. And, you know, I say that in my opening on your question in this conversation as, um, you know, some people may never change their conceptions, you know, because, you know, they maybe they have a valid point. Maybe something happened with them and they just, you know, they're so hurt or so deeply rooted in what they think is right that they may not ever change their compass. The challenge that in frustration that I get is what are they teaching their kids and grandkids? Because it's a different generation today. You know, and the most important table for reconciliation is the kitchen table our kids go to at Thanksgiving and at Christmas time. And, you know, if a little kid comes to the table and says, grandpa, grandma, auntie, uncle, did you know what I learned in school about reconciliation and treaties? Well, sometimes grandpa's going to be opinionated. He's going to tell his grandson, were oh, you, you know what? Were you at my kitchen table? Were you at my kitchen? Because I can tell you. <laughs> and, you know, so we must instill in our kids the greatest warrior is the one that brings peace. That's how we teach reconciliation today. And, you know, that's really important because we leave it up to our education system to do this. Parents don't know how to really do it. Um, the education system is is trying its best. But, you know, it, it's going to have some hiccups as everything does. And so, you know, I'm just going to end off with when you talked about the canoe analogy. I, You know, today, you know, I, I like to explain our journey today together is where there's two canoes going down the river beside one another. One of them is the Canadian Western worldview. That's where our constitution sits. That's where, you know, all of our assets that we get from the Bank Act of Canada, from all of our education degrees is validated. It can never get taken away. But there's also an Indigenous worldview. And that's right beside us in a different canoe. And they're supposed to be aligned. That was the intent of our relationship at the beginning. But unfortunately, the Indian Act residential schools were thrown in that Indigenous canoe and the Indigenous canoe fell behind a little bit. And all Indigenous people want in this country today is to have our canoe catch up so we can align beside each other again. As an Indigenous person, I love being a Canadian, but I'm also an Indigenous person. And that's the uniqueness of sharing this land today is I want to make sure my daughter, her name is Callie, can grow up and be just like her great, great, great grandma was living this land as an Indigenous person with that confidence. But Callie and I, we're going to do our hunting a little different today. We don't do the hunting society. We go to Costco today. That's just where Callie and I do our hunting. You know, but that doesn't mean that Callie and I have to give up our Indigenous ways just to succeed in the Western Canadian worldview. It's going to take a generation to understand this. I hope it takes sooner, but I'll give you my patterns. It is going to take a generation because there is reconciliation has a ceiling. Nobody's opposed to it. Everybody's promising it, but there's a ceiling. When you start to have your own assets, your own 
timelines, your own, uh, everything impacted, that's when reconciliation hits its ceiling. So we just got to understand we're in a transition of how it should have been at the beginning. And in Canadians, we just had a head start for the first 160 years. Now it's our obligation to make sure the Indigenous worldview canoe is aligned right beside us. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, okay. I love, I love that. And when I, you know, just for our listeners, I'm going to tell you just my perception and, you know, Cadmus, you, you correct me all the time. I think about, you know, how did this start? How did we even get here? And when I take, this is going to be a rudimentary brief conversation about colonization. And so when we look at Europe, you know, where before people even sort of came to this country, indigenous peoples landed here and they created a life. And there was this understanding, you know, because of colonization that White skin mattered more than dark. And there was this ability then to come then to come over to Canada and this sense that, you know, we will take over the lands. And there was resources and fighting and promises that then ended up being made and never upheld. And when I think about the belief that you are doing something that is right because you are sort of getting rid of the bad guys or the people that are going to cause the problem or those that are weaker than. I had a beautiful conversation with a human who started the same place I did. We have the same heartbeats. Human DNA is 99.98% the same. Race is a social construct. Yeah. And I sat with this human who I, you know, I did a, a, an acknowledgement during a presentation. He came up to me. I was in Saskatchewan. Very robust uh, indigenous man sat very critical of my presentation the whole time, probably because I swore too much. Cadmus is not a fan. And when I was watching him, he came up to me and he grabbed my hands and he was shaking. And he said, I am a, a residential school survivor. And I said, can I hug you? And he sobbed and I sobbed. And he said, you know, those babies you talked about being unearthed, he said, I had to bury them. That was my job. And as an Indigenous pe person, if you're listening to this, I mean, I, I, I want you to drop your shoulders. It's okay if you press pause. But I got to hear for the first time, sort of, we read about it, and yes, we're going to uncover. He said these words to me, you know, I, there was no concern for cutting my hair. There was no concern. I would hear the screams at night. I would watch, uh, very malnourished, he said, for the vast majority of my time there, I desperately wanted to leave. I would watch people escape and then never come back. We never knew what happened to them. And sometimes my heart breaks so much when I hear the people that I love in my own family question whether this was reality. And I think, I think that's the point for me 
when I can hang on to this man, you know, when I watch his wife standing beside him, very proudly school teacher. And, you know, she says to me, we have six children of our own. And now we have, you know, eight grandchildren. And she said, she looked at me and she said, he still sleeps with the light on. And she said, I said, do you ever rest in this body? And he said, during the day when all of my children are home, I can nap. And I nap beautifully in those moments. And I just thought, "Uh uh-huh, because the body keeps the score. And when we start to understand that about the wisdom and the brilliance and the insight that is surrounded, how lucky we are in this country to be surrounded by that resilience, our opportunities to learn from people who are wise beyond our years, it makes me think about the fight it takes to get people to understand and appreciate that. And that for the rest of my days, I mean, I think about him. I think about him all the time. I think about, you know, every time I get on a stage and I, and I do a, a land acknowledgement, every time I get a conversation that I'm, that I'm, people are brave enough to say, hi, why do you have to do a land acknowledgement in the front of every podcast? How come you do that? Huh? Have we not done this enough already? I love it. But I, <laughs> I think that it is only in those hard conversations and the fact that yeah. you are willing to have them, Cadmus, is something that I admire to the, to the, to, to my, I mean, I just, I think about how do you navigate this as a human being every day? Where do you put those things? Thank you for sharing that, you know, and, um, I, um, I get my motivation, I must start my motivation. Get my motivation from sitting with at my mom's house where I'm sitting right now. And, uh, you know, she's on the couch with my four-year-old. He stayed home from school today. He was a little sick. And when I'm sick, I'm like that commercial, eh? you know, tell my wife, call my mom. You know, I don't know if you know that commercial. I do, but that, I know it, I know That's it. me when I'm sick. And so when, uh, this morning I said, I'm just going to take clean of my mom. She'll give him the medicine that he needs. And, you know, I, I do it because, you know, I watch my mother and residential school survivors, living witnesses, just see hope in their eyes, the way I carry myself. You no, know, my my duty in this world is to drive hope, and you know I, it's a tough go. It's it's a really tough go. You know I, I I feel the optimism on the Canadian Western worldview canoe. I I work with people every day in boards that I chair to committees I sit with and so forth, and then I get to sit in the other canoe, and that's the Indigenous canoe. And um, it's beautiful. Funny, the humor is too much for me sometimes. I got to slow down because it's just, I can't stop having so much fun. But, you know, one of the things I find is, um, how I cope with it is when someone has trauma, they normally create this membrane around them to protect them from the next trauma. And sometimes, that membrane actually blocks the healing part too. So that membrane is meant to block the trauma. And so when I talk with somebody, especially in like, I'm a keynote speaker and that's where we got to meet each other. And I always make a joke because I always like going after you because I'll say, well, after all, during those F words, let let me let me let's let's talk about the the healing of the f words now and I usually make a little oh, joke. Oh, like you and, usually say you're gonna smudge the room before you can even talk because it's not even room. sacred anymore. This, 
it feel the F words in this room. And, uh, so, um, you know, and I, 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 I address the onion layers of somebody's membranes to try and get them to put their shield down. And let's talk about, especially indigenous worldview canoe, indigenous to indigenous. And it's happening, you know, as a chief for seven years and, um, 75% of my time was managing poverty. Mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, religious poverty. It wasn't the money poverty. It was the intergenerational poverty. And it it really takes its toll on chiefs. I give it up to chiefs in this country. And uh, 25% is innovation in economics. And so, you know, I, I do, I speak, you know, the means that I can to drive hope. Because I got three little kids um, and I've met many Indigenous youth, many non-Indigenous youth. I've met new Canadian young teenagers and every one of them want the same. You know, the challenge now is, is we all agree on the end goal. We just disagree on how to get there. And I want to help drive on how to get there because reconciliation can only happen with uncomfortable comfortable conversations and it takes certain people to lead an uncomfortable conversation where nobody puts their shield up and you know that's those are my my means to why I do this I I enjoy it and I those uncomfortable conversations are moments of truth for me but at the end of the day you know I look back I'm like we took a step forward today on how to get there it is indeed your superpower I've I've watched you in action and it is no small feat that that ability to stay regulated in such face faced with so much pushback and <laughs> that people can't tolerate the truth sometimes of what's happening. And I think your ability to stay with that is just is just remarkable. And now next steps for you. I know we just basically, you know, you told me a little bit about One Hope. But you, you, um, not currently acting as chief, you are always having a hand in politics because I think you, that's your calling. But this, this, the, tell me about one who we, we spoke this briefly is, at an airport about it once. And I was yes. like, stop, this sounds like the most brilliant initiative of all time. So <laughs> I, I, can you tell me more about it? Cause I know it's just your new baby. Yeah, thank you. It's a month old. I'm still in the honeymoon stage. So, you know, still <laughs> getting the congratulations and all that. And, um, you know, there's at, at the end goal, I mean, let me explain it to you from a big picture. The end goal, when we reach reconciliation in this country, when our kids reap the benefits of our sacrifices today on how to do it, there's going to be two relationships with Indigenous people and Canadians. The first one is quasi-jurisdictional. The second one is economics. And those are the two main relationships Indigenous people will have with Canadians. And so One Hoop is helping with the economic side of things. And what One Hoop means is in every Indigenous heritage, every Indigenous uh, culture, a hoop is consistent. Even though our languages are different and, you know, our, you know, the way of our value sometimes are unique as Indigenous to Indigenous, the hoop is consistent. And the hoop is about healing. It's about culture. It's about pride. So one hoop is all of us, one hoop. And so what it is, is it helps three different areas. So it helps corporate Canada, uh, Western Canadian worldview, 
better understand ESGI. So, you know, everybody's focusing on ESG today. That's a very common term in, you know, in investments to, to business strategy, so that the environment, social uh, governance, but Indigenous is the fourth one. ESGI, Indigenous has to be the fourth one. If you're not doing Indigenous in business in this country, you're actually falling behind in investments today. That's just how we're going. So One Hoop helps Corporate Canada better understand ESGI and what that means in their strategy and their investments and, and so forth. So we can come in, read strat plans, do Indigenous procurement policies and so forth like that. The second part is Indigenous governance. So Indigenous governing bodies, Métis, First Nation, Inuit, all want to do economics, but sometimes the social is so impactful that leadership doesn't have time to focus on economics because they're too busy managing poverty because of what we invested. One Hoop wants to come in and be that breath of fresh air to the Indigenous governing body to help them with their nation wealth, their economic self-sustainability, uh, and so forth. So we're, we're there to help in um, uh, coaching and consulting. The third one is we're going to bridge them together. So one of the things we're doing is private equity. So this is where I get my, to my financial mindset. So one of the things in the country today is Indigenous people are getting better at economics, but we're not in the equity conversation in this country yet. We don't own the top, top. We're not sitting on the board. We're not... We're not being the actual owners. We're kind of in the middle. That's our that's our median right now. And there's a lot of strategic alliances. I'll end this in one minute here. There's a lot of strategic alliances where non-Indigenous uh, business will come to a First Nation or Métis and say, let's do a strategic alliance. We'll give you X amount of dollars. Uh, we'll say you're 51% owner and uh, go to and get these contracts. You'll get your, your X amount of dollars and we both win. But when that contract's done, the Indigenous nation's still sitting there with no capacity, very little, you know, long-term jobs. They just got a good little payout on a big contract and that's not equity. And so one hoop, we're creating a private equity where we're going to take, um, you know, private equity dollars. We're going to buy businesses. We're going to indigenize them. We're going to make sure Indigenous is a part of the creation value and we'll resell them. And so... You know, we're going to really nudge that economics in this country. Oh, my. And can I just tell you, here's what I love about it. And you tell me if I'm if I've got this correct. So you can't give away something you've never received. And when I think about building business, building strategy, what you need is somebody to come alongside and show you how to do it. And <laughs> you're saying as a group, one hoops that that that's what we're going to do is we're going to help you understand that there is this money available. There is the necessity to understand and incorporate Indigenous knowledge and funding resources and land into businesses. Let us bridge those things. Let us teach alongside so that Indigenous people can take, peoples can then understand because there's so much brilliance and insight and knowledge. How do we mirror those two? Is that is that right? Am I close? It, you're, you're bridging them together. I, I would probably talk a little longer on the mirroring side, but we are bridging them together. A lot of corporate Canada want to do business with Indigenous nations. They just don't know how to approach it. Maybe they just, um, you know, don't want to feel disrespectful. So call on one hoop and we will be that understanding to bridge them together. Ah, uh, like this thing. Uh, uh, come on. Brilliant. Huh? 
So this is what this is one thing. Now tell me, and then the last thing I just really want to talk a little bit about is the Residential School Documents Advisory Committee. What is your role as chairperson? Yeah, thank you. Guitar storyteller. So I'm going to bring in how I became the chair, then I'll tell you what it is. So when I was chief in 2021, um, I had to stand in front of cameras and explain why houses had unmarked graves at our former residential school. And um, after that, we created two teams. We created a science team to validate uh, more the uh, uh, ground radar penetration uh, penetration system. And then we had to start a research team. So we, we split them into two. And so the research team went out and started to find documents. So actual evidence of, um, you know, how these uh, children showed up to a residential school, but how come they weren't documented on leaving a residential school or so forth. So we went to the, because it was a Roman Catholic church that ran the Maryville Residential School uh, from 1898 to 1972. And then from 72 to 96, it was ran through Indigenous Services Canada and Cowses. So we went to the church archives and it wasn't that great. Like they just didn't document it well. Then we went to the government and the government had um, some available, but a lot were, were, were locked up because of legalities, because of privacy acts. And so I, I started telling the minister of the day, I was like, well, how do you expect us to heal if you're not even releasing our own documents that have our family name in them? A couple of months later, he said, hey, we're going to create this uh, committee in Ottawa. Would you like to be a part of it? You, you seem to understand this. And it eventually made my way where it's an internal committee. It's not an external. It's not a commission. It's not an external where I go around the country. It's strictly an internal government transitioning documents out of government to a third party called the National Center on Truth and Reconciliation so that any Indigenous nation could go there and they could find their documents relating to residential schools. So I agreed to be the chair. I'm the chair for four and a half years. I still have three years left. And what I'm doing is I work with the 14 departments and their agencies. So I work directly with the uh, deputy ministers. Um, I report to the Minister of, of, of Crown Relations. And um, we have a committee. We have a residential school committee that I take, uh, you know, bounce off ideas. Um, but... I'm strictly an internal chair. And the thing that's so unique about this is Canada's never had an external person ever become an internal chair to such a unique committee. So, you know, at first I felt the first couple of months I had to prove myself that I wasn't there just to be a wrench in the machine that I actually met, knew what I was talking about. I feel now that I got that respect internally and I get to learn how federal bureaucracy works at the federal government internally. And I, I love it. You know, no one's opposing it. There's a lot of tough conversations. I feel like I educate people on a general, then I, I get their feedback and then I go out and find what they're saying and I bring it back. So I'm learning a lot. Um, it's not a full-time job. Some people think I work in Ottawa. I'm sitting in, I'm sitting on the reserve right now. I could be doing work on my laptop right now. So predominantly off my laptop, but in four years, there'll be over 20 million documents transitioned out of government to the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation. And that's where um, anybody doing research can go there to seek documents. Hey, wow. What power. That, that is amazing. Oh, my goodness. 
Uh, thank you for explaining that. And, and now I, I want to know, I mean, what's next for Cadmus DeLorean? What's happening <laughs> here? What's next for you? You know, Jody, I, I love where we're going together. I, I feel like I'm, I'm 41 right now, so I still have some years ahead of me. I have a two, I have a three, four and seven year old. I'm coaching now. I've, uh, I, I, I didn't realize how competitive of a parent I am. I was, oh, stop. My, my, you were a world-class golfer. You have, my, you are massively competitive. <laughs> my wife is like, calm down. It's just T-ball. She was telling me this. <laughs> You're like, come so, on. Kelly. I, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to, to, so, you know, I learn from people that I, I just, I learn from people in general and, one of the things I learned is don't take too much time away from home in the little kids' years. Like, so I, I plan for the next five years to just do status quo. I'm going to grow one hoop. I'm going to, you know, do business. But, you know, I get to do it all from home and I'm just going to be there with my kids. And I, I hope one day I can get back into politics one day. You know, maybe one day I will. Um, I'd like to try non-Indigenous politics uh, just because I believe that, you know, in order to get to the end goal of what we all agree on the end goal is, maybe I can nudge it from, you know, in non-Indigenous politics and maybe Indigenous politics will call me back or, you know, I just want to play a role in this country where, you know, I see where Callie, my seven-year-old daughter, and anybody listening with their seven-year-old daughter, that they can both be pilots, they can both be nurses, they can both be tradespeople. Callie just gets the benefit of having that indigenous worldview that her great, 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 great grandma had. And, you know, the non-indigenous seven-year-old beside her probably has the benefit of learning that indigenous worldview that she's going to learn so much value in as well. And I, I don't know what role that actually is, Joey, but I'm open to suggestions. Prime Minister. <laughs> you know, the toughest part about <laughs> Prime Minister is I got to pick a party. Yeah, you know, I like, oh my gosh. We can I just tell you, make one Cadmus. I'll be your Jody, vice let's, president. Let's, <laughs> the two canoe party, we'll call what? it. Yeah, you will. Yes, that is brilliant. I knew you'd have a name. I love that. Oh my gosh. Best. Listen, from the bottom of my soul, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Mm. I, I don't, um, I, I just really want to tell you, I think you, I hope you know how remarkable you are. You are one of the most amazing humans I have ever, ever met. And I am such a huge fan, supporter, always in your corner, whatever it takes. I will throw down a fight or flip a canoe or do the whole peaceful warrior thing, which I find tends to work better. Fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm just, I'm just so in awe of you, Cadmus. I really hope you know how amazing you are. And uh, I, I'm just so grateful you joined us today. Oh, such an honor. Right back at you. And I see you in person or see you somewhere online when I'm following you on social media. It makes me understand why I do this, just knowing you're doing it too. So thank you for all that you do. Oh, gosh. Listen, everybody, I, I, uh, I'm going to put everything you need to know about Chief Cadmus DeLorne in, um, in the show notes. And some more information about One Hoop and um, all of the initiatives that um, he so bravely champions. And um, take care of each other. Have the hard conversations. Uh, learn about the things that, that you don't know about and, and share that knowledge. Have those conversations in respectful ways. And 
The greatest warrior is the one who brings peace. Be that person today. Uh, follow in these footsteps because um, you just met a leader today and uh, you're a hero to me. So ah, take, thank you. Take care of you. Take care of each other, my friends. And I, uh, I can't wait to meet you right back here again next week. I'm a registered clinical psychologist here in beautiful Alberta, Canada. The content created and produced in this show is not intended as specific therapeutic advice. The intention of this podcast is to provide information, resources, some education, and hopefully a little hope. The Everyone Comes From Somewhere podcast by me, Dr. Jody Carrington, is produced by Brian Seaver, Taylor McGilvery, and the amazing Jeremy Saunders at Snack Labs. Our executive producer is the one and only, my Marty Pillar. Our marketing strategist is Caitlin Benito. And our PR big shooters are Des Vano and Barry Cohen. Our agent, the 007 guy, is Jeff Lonis from the Talent Bureau. And my emotional support during the taping of these credits uh, was and is and will always be my son, Asher. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com